Hi, my name is Manu. And in a couple of seconds, you will be introduced to Bill. Bill is my uncle who lives in the US, which is special because I don't. I live in Germany. This podcast will, let's say, give me a chance to get to know him better. Right now, I actually can't tell you what we will hear in detail, not because I don't want to tell you, but because I don't know yet. So, be prepared to hear some awesome stories from, as far as I know, one of the best storytellers in the world, which is Bill, about how he grew up in the 60s and 70s in California and what it took for him to become the great man he is today. This is My Uncle and Me. Have fun. Hello, listeners. This is Bill, or as I am more affectionately known on this podcast, Uncle Bill. A few months ago, my nephew Manuel Herman, a.k.a. Manu, reached out to me with the idea of doing a podcast with him. I was flattered, somewhat shocked, because, well, um, er, I've never considered doing such a thing. Manu wanted to learn what it was like coming of age in the 60s and early 70s. Essentially, I was, I was drafted. Well, what I thought would be a lighthearted jaunt down memory lane instead became something more powerful and, frankly, a tad bit confrontational. There's no dispelling the fact that I was a loose cannon back in those days. These stories will certainly attest to that. But as the poet Maya Angelou said, when you know better, you do better. I've known Mono his entire life. He visited us many times in our Brooklyn Brownstone. And most impressively, he joined us solo as an 11-year-old. Quite impressive indeed. The upside of doing these weekly recording sessions with Mono is that he has brought brought us even closer to one another, I feel. So, for better or worse, warts and all, here are some tales of my adventures and misadventures. Each segment comes in close to an hour. I hope you enjoy. Bill, hi. How are you? I'm fine. How are you, Manu? I'm very fine. Very, very fine. I'm really looking forward to hear uh, one of your great stories, and I'm really uh, excited what you've brought me and maybe the few people who listen to this thing, uh, what you've brought us. Okay. All right. Well, (laughs) we're going to go back in time. Um, 1971, uh, Southern California, uh, the beaches of Southern California, about 60 miles south of Los Angeles. And this story is really about um, the links uh, a young 18-year-old boy will go to to mend a broken heart. Um, you know, to mend a broken heart, you you first have to have a heart or something that uh, can be broken. Um, <clears throat> so towards the end of my senior year, um, we graduate in June, about in April, I had the amazingly great fortune of meeting a young 
uh, girl, uh, 17 years old, who was a foreign exchange student from Germany. And uh, I was working, uh, both of us were working on a senior play, a very dopey musical called MAME. And my job was uh, very short. It was basically to lower the, the moon curtain and act three. That's all I had to do. And I actually had my parents and family come out that applauded when I, you know, actually was successful in lowering the mo uh, moon curtain. And uh, the young girl that introduced herself to me, um, her name uh, was and is Rose Herman. And she was one of the makeup artists. And she carried around this little makeup kit and scurried around and put blush on people's faces and stuff. And Rose was entirely different than any of the other girls uh, at Cronodomar High School. Um, she was tall, thin, high cheekbones, and white, lily white. Uh, the other girls that, at that high school, being a beach town, were these very tan, some a lot of the times kind of squatty, um, blonde and blue-eyed girls. And so Rose stuck out like a, a sore thumb, a very nice sore thumb. But at any rate, she needed a ride home. And I volunteered and we spent a couple of hours talking uh, in the car. And it was really clear to me, absolutely 100% clear that sparks were flying, at least for me. I didn't know how she felt. But I remember driving home and just blasting the music and just beside myself with excitement because I realized, boy, I have met a girl that is, is, is wonderful. But Rose was going to leave in a few months and this was always like an ax ha hanging over our head. Um, you know, because we, we knew that, um, it wasn't going to last forever. And it didn't. Um, you know, as we got closer to June, it became clear uh, that she was going to hop on a plane. And uh, we had fallen in love at that point. Um, we could not get enough of each other. Okay, so she felt the same for you if you, yeah. when you were talking about the sparkles in your car. Yeah, luckily, luckily it became kind of clear that we, you know, we, we were both simpatico on that. Yeah. And um, so the inevitable happened. And uh, I had to say my goodbyes to her. And it's amazing thinking back because we had decided at that young age at 18 and 17 that we were not going to contact each other, mm. that this was it. We did not, uh, we, we kept saying we did not want to live out a like uh, a B-movie romance story, mm. <laughs> you know. And, you know, I thank God we were so courageous, but I also realized, well, maybe we we're kind of stupid. Um, so at any rate, uh, that ride saying goodbye to her was the exact opposite of that ride. After meeting her the first time, I was despondent, tearful, crying. I was crying, you know. I knew leading up to this that I was going to have to lick my wounds. I'd have mm -hmm. to find some way to get over this. Um, 
and I'd made preparations. Um, and I thought, you know, maybe I'll go backpacking. I'd done some backpacking trips before, but I didn't want to do it alone. I, you know, and, and none of my close friends were really interested. And there was one guy that I kind of knew um, that I was talking about this trip, and he was very enthusiastic about it. His name was John. I can't remember John's last name. Um, however, uh, the one concern I had about doing this trip with John is that he was a born-again Christian. And in 1971, uh, around that time, there was this huge movement going on in uh, Southern California in particular of massive amounts of kids that were being born again. Yeah, you need to explain this to me because I am young. I don't know what a reborn Christian is or okay. should be. <laughs> well, I certainly didn't know what one should be because I never became one. But they were these large uh masses um services with music and very fiery kinds of sermons that were asking uh, uh, people that were attending this to go up and they had this big vat and they would dunk your head in it and baptize you with the holy spirit and it was very dramatic and It sounds like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I checked it out only not because I was interested in doing it, but uh, almost like an anthropology study, you know, because it just seems so mm. fascinating. It was like uh, I was always into Margaret Mead, and I loved her book, Coming of Age in Samoa, you know, and this was kind of like that for me because I would sit back there and watch these kids get up and And they would start speaking in tongues, you know, this kind of gibberish, uh, their, their language, their own personal language to communicate with, with the Lord. And um, so I was, you know, I was fascinated in it. I was never tempted, but he was a big part of this, John. And I said to him, look, if we go on this trip, you cannot uh, try to convert me. You know, mm -hmm, that's the mm -hmm. only thing. I ask of you. And uh, <clears throat> he was good. He said, I will not do that. So we got our packs, bought our packs, our hiking boots, the provisions. Um, I was not a super experienced hiker. Uh, by the way, we were planning on going out for one month. And where did you, you want to go? Well, there's a, the Sierra Nevadas um, uh, are in California and go into uh, Nevada as well. And it's this huge mountain chain with uh, very, very high peaks. And um, it's a beautiful area. Um, uh, you know, I'll, a lot of people are, f are familiar with the Yosemite National Park in California that's very, very famous. And this is all kind of a part of it, but it goes on for hundreds of miles. Mm -hmm. So we packed our, our everything up and we had, you know, our, our food provisions were very um, sparse. It was like nuts, uh, oatmeal, uh, cocoa, uh, you know, just really not very good stuff. And to 
you know, tr to try to go for a month, um, that's a long time. We didn't even have a fishing pole or a tent. So, so did you did you plan to like basically live from coconuts and and the oatmeal things you have, or did you plan to like find your own food well, in any kind of way? Yeah, no. As I said, we had no hunting gear, or you know, so it was very ill prepared. Uh, you know, um, we thought we had enough to last us a month. Um, you know, and uh, well, as I'll tell a story that was did not actually. <laughs> um, become true we got into we got into a big problem um so we began our hike and everything's going really really well uh you know and we're we're covering you know pretty high elevation you know maybe uh, uh i don't know if i was to put it into meters probably you know three thousand four thousand meter um, what? Yeah, you know, um, or, you know, certainly thirty-five hundred, but we uh, it became clear as we got a couple of hundred miles out over the you know first couple of weeks that we really were not going to uh, have enough food. So without any fishing or hunting utensils, we were really uh, at a loss for what to do, and. We went by this, it was kind of a, a stream, and I heard these frogs. And I looked down there, and it's this kind of wet area that's kind of marshy. And I see all of these large, like bullfrogs. I mean, really good size, uh, you know, much bigger than your hand. And, you know, I said to John, look, um, I was at a fancy restaurant with my folks once, and I had always had kind of uh, uh, adventuresome uh, tastes, and uh, I ordered frog legs. And I said, you know, they were really, they were good. Uh, and he said, well, what do they taste like? And I said, well, just like chicken, just like everything else does, just like chicken. <laughs> and, <laughs> and being the wimp uh, that I am, I said, John, look, I will catch the frogs if you um, butcher them, and I'm only interested in the legs. So if you can figure out a way to kill them and sever their legs, I will cook them. And I think that I've solved a problem. And he dutifully uh, caught in this you know, big, big bag, probably 100, 150 of these frogs and it was very gruesome because he had the big butt of a knife and he'd whack them over the head and kill them and then sever their legs so wait a minute you were able to to catch 150 bullfrogs yes they were very easy to catch and i did my i just caught them and caught them and caught them and then he spent the next you know a few hours um well kind of butchering them in a crude way uh it was very gory it's not <laughs> if there are any yeah, well, <laughs> i know why it's why it was easy to catch them because they did obviously not expect it to be <laughs> to be catched <laughs> they, they did not expect it um and i apologize to any vegans out there uh, we may have already lost you um <clears throat> but so my first uh go around which was it turns out not very successful. 
is that I just simply put a bunch of salt and water and I said, let's just try with, you know, like three frogs, six legs, and we're just going to boil them up and see what happens. And uh, I boiled and boiled and boiled and boiled them. And uh, it was awful. I mean, we were really hungry, but they were rubbery and gooey and, and we couldn't, we couldn't even get it down. So <clears throat> I said, look, I've got another plan. This time uh, we're going to fry them. And, uh, and we had uh, some nuts that I kind of toasted that got a little oil on them. And I salted and salted and I, you know, fried them. And I, I was able to get, a, you know, a good, a little bit of a crisp on them. And I was really encouraged. But we were still not there. So what we did, uh, we had some line, uh, some some uh, string, some twine. Mm. And what we did is we tied these frog legs on our backpacks. And is all of them basically we that we were covered from the top all the way down <laughs> below our packs they were hitting the back of my knees we looked like you know one of those ants or one of those you know tree creatures out of out of uh you know uh, some sort of science fiction like, yeah, movie yeah. you know and we hiked with them for about 3 days and they got better and better and better and before you know it this is like um, frog leg jerky, just like a beef jerky. They were delicious, and they got, and they were very nourishing. And we we it just put a, a complete bounce in our step. We were so absolutely thrilled that uh, you know we had saved the day. But, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead with your butt. Well, I'm just saying, but we still realized that we had to circle back and and uh and get back to civilization because you know um yeah who knows if we'd be so lucky to find a, a gold mine of frogs again and uh a gold mine uh, just a gold mine right yeah so one of the things that really intrigued us is that there's uh, mount whitney um is was about 75 miles from us and we wanted to scale Mount Whitney, spend the night there and then hike back down. And then you could catch a trail that would take you back into civilization. Now Mount Whitney is 14,500 feet. I don't know what that is in, um, elevation meters. In yeah. meters, I, 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 well, it's got to be, uh, well, I can figure that out. It's four and a half, close to five, not quite, but it's, it's high. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. It's 4,260 something meters. Okay. This is like way higher than, I guess, I guess I should know this, but I guess, uh, like the the highest mountain of the Alps, yes, which are also pretty high. Okay. I mean, this is, this is some, this is some serious mountain you're talking That's about. That's right. That's right. We were in incredible physical shape at that time because we've been just walking, 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 and we were, we were thin. But even so, we wanted to, 
get up there to the top, uh, you know, with plenty of sunlight, at least to, you know, check it out and see what was. We were told that at the very top, there was uh, a crude place that you could sleep. Um, and we started out probably at about eight in the morning and made our way up the switchbacks, up, 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 up. And probably about an hour and a half before sunset, we arrived. And of course, nobody up there, you know. Um, and what we realized when we got at the top, of course, there was no shed or anything. There was no like enclosed area. Instead, they had dug into the top of the mountain these pits that basically looked just like uh, a grave, just like, you know, not, not, yeah, exactly. Not a quite, not quite as deep, not six feet, but like three feet and just enough, you know, to stretch your body out lying down. And that there was two of them and it was the perfect. I said, this is great, John, you know, I'll sleep in one and you, you sleep in the other. And, you know, we're going, oh, this is great. This is great. We still have some frog legs left. and We've got some water in our <laughs> canteens. I said, this is great. And so we're looking at the view. And all of a sudden, this guy appears out of nowhere. Um, you know, we're, we're 18 years old. And this guy seemed old to me. But he, looking back on it, he was maybe 40. And what was scary about this guy uh, were a couple of things. You know, um, it wasn't wasn't that he was dirty because we were all you know dirty and, I, and hadn't yeah. know, taken a shower in weeks, but his zipper was undone, his fly, his zipper was undone, and he had a big shotgun. And that was the first person we'd seen. Um, with a gun, you know, in fact, in our month out there, we probably only saw, you know, 15, 20 people, you know, after we got out, you know, you know, 20 miles out into the, into the hillside. Crazy. And, uh, he looks at us and he goes, Hey, you boys killed anything on your trip? Have you guys killed anything? And I look at John and I realize. Well, shit, yeah. I mean, we look at we and got out of one hundred and fifty <laughs> frogs. What yeah. have you killed? Yeah. I said, no, no, we haven't killed. We haven't killed anything. We nothing, nothing. We're peace loving. We love peace, you know. And I think John said for the first time, and I love the Lord, you know. And so, and I said, looked at him. And I thought, you know, if you're ever going to say say that this is an okay time to say that you love the Lord, that's that's yeah. perfectly acceptable. I'm with you, and. He goes, well, I, I want, I have to ask you one question, you sons, you two sons, where you sleeping in there? You sleeping in these ditches? Uh, yeah. He goes, where are your heads going to be? Where are your heads going to be? I, at that point, we are so f unbelievably freaked out. And now it's starting to get kind of dark. He goes, well, I'm, I'm off. And he takes off, and this was so peculiar because he didn't look like he was in that great of physical shape, 
Now, going down is much easier than going up. But we had figured getting, you know, down from the top of Mount Whitney was still going to take us, you know, at least three or four hours, you know, Mm. because there's a lot of really steep switchbacks. And we see him leave and we're watching him go along this path on the mountain. And then there's a switchback, which means it's it, it turns to the right and you can't see any further. But then there's another place that you can see on the mountain where he would come out, you know, uh, from that at switchback some yeah. at some point and, and, he, and so on and so on. So we watched him go through two switchbacks and are seeing if he's going to come out on the third one because that's the last one we can see. We did have binoculars. And we're looking, looking, looking as there's still enough light to see and we did not see him. So we sit up there and we go, what the hell are we going to do? Well, we decided we have to go for it and we got to get off this mountain. And um, we had one one working flashlight uh, and we flipped a coin and we said 10 minutes of leading and then the other person will take the lead because we, th- we thought this guy is going to be, you know, around the corner and he's just going to blow us away and he'll at least get the first one and maybe this second one can fight him for the gun. And um, so we did. And we were basically running, running down this mountain. I mean, and we were really lucky. We didn't, uh, you know, twist an ankle or break a, break a leg. And we kept going around these corners and bends and finally we get to the the one where we didn't see him surface and it, uh, unfortunately it was John's time to, uh, take the lead, uh, it just happened that way. And, you know, we switch positions and he gets around and he's not there. We like continue. To, he was not there. So yeah. we were still worried, you know? Um, so we continued to run down this mountain and, uh, we made it. And, day broke and we began we, we began to become you know kind of in a little bit into civilization meaning we would see uh, hikers uh that were um you know on their way uh and, and trying to make it as it turns out uh we were fine we made it we ended up at a campsite uh I just wanted to get home. He wanted to get home. And uh, we walked another, you know, 10 miles to this town uh, and to catch a bus, uh, a Greyhound bus to get us back home, uh, which was probably, I don't know, maybe a six-hour bus bus ride. But we were so um, hungry and we had been dreaming, you know, um, of 
hamburgers. You know, we both. I knew you would say hamburgers. Yeah. Why did I? Well, it's a, you know, a, a great you know American uh, <laughs> American diet. You know, and uh, there was a really uh, uh, terrible cafe right uh, next to the bus station, and um, we both ordered two hamburgers, and we got through the first one in you know a, a good you know. 30 seconds and <laughs> the second one took a little bit longer and we were we were so stuffed um because we had not eaten um you know nearly as much yeah, yeah. food i mean i i i, I kind of looked at these figures earlier and i am a hundred and about 188 centimeters tall and I came back at 62 kilos. Um, so for Americans, I'm 6'2", and I came back at about 136 in pounds. This is not much. No, it's, it's not much. Uh, and what happened to both of us, just as we were boarding the Greyhound, uh, we got sick. And we, both of us, almost at the same time, just before... We're ready to get on this bus. We both puked. We both <laughs> threw up. We were not very popular with the other with the other passengers because literally there was vomit. You know, um, you know, four paces from the stairs um, entering entering the uh, bus trip. So yeah, we, and you have not taken a shower for uh, about three weeks. Still, it, I guess. It, exactly. So mm. we made it. We made it back, and to circle back to saying goodbye to Rose and my heartbreak is keep in mind we did make a pact with one another, Rose and I, and that was is that we were not going to write back. However, upon returning home, I get a call from uh, one of the girls that she lived with uh, from her host family, who I was friends with. I, I went to junior high school with her and high school. And she said, I have a letter from Rose. And my heart sank. You know, I was so glad that she decided I'm going to write him. And so... I rode my motorcycle, um, sped over on my, under my motorcycle to pick up the letter. Um, and the girl handed it to me and it, she, she was so busted because, um, I could tell that she had, um, totally steamed the, the, let the letter open, uh, and had, had read it, you know, it wasn't even folded. I think properly. I mean, I think the, the pages were out of sync, you know, um, and it was a long letter. It was like five pages and it was very personal, you know, of course. And, uh, but I didn't mind. I was just, you know, uh, simply happy, uh, that she did. And what transpired, um, was a, was a correspondence over two years, um, where we would write, to one another maybe every three months um, where we would, you know, spill our souls um, with the understanding that, of course, we were not boyfriend, girlfriend, that she, you know, 
I think, you know, had a boyfriend's, you know, afterwards. And uh, I wasn't as lucky. I was just, uh, I didn't really have any girlfriends. I had uh, some relationships and, and things, but I just, um, you know, I, I just couldn't turn quite turn the corner. Um, so mm-hmm. I guess with, you know, that's the conclusion of this story, although Rose uh will fill a very prominent um, role in this uh, uh, discussion <laughs> as we continue. So that's my my uh, long-winded tale of how a young man mends a broken heart. It's beautiful. It's actually beautiful. <laughs> I have uh, a couple of questions. Yeah. Um, at first, I didn't knew I, I I could not imagine how it would be if you said like you you um, decided to not write each other and things mm-hmm. because this is like you said uh, you you had this correspondence um, and you wrote each other like every three months or so. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you think of today's standard, like the fact that we're talking live right now, you live in the U.S. still, mm-hmm. and I'm in Germany. Um, and it's basically one of the simplest things things we could do right now. This is really hard to imagine what it would have meant in 1971 if I'm getting the number right. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I, I mean, if you would have decided decided to to take a, a yeah, long distance relationship mm-hmm. or something like that, with the fact knowing that it's could be pretty hard to see each other ever again uh, in the near future, this. I can't even imagine what it what it what it felt what it would feel like without today's standards. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, it's completely. It's, it's, I, and I think that you know, today, you know, one may attempt to carry on a long yeah. distance relationship just via Skype or you know whatever, whatever you, yeah, uh, Zoom or, or or something. Yeah, I mean it, that's what was so cruel, you know, about it. And 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 also, you know, I had not done any. Um, traveling outside of Mexico. So my world was very, very small. I mean, I went to Mexico because Southern California, you could get it to the Mexican border in, you know, um, two hours. But mm-hmm. it all seemed so Im- impossible yeah. uh, to me. But um, Rose did encourage uh, some future um, travels, which may come up uh in a future uh, podcast uh, session. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, um, as we all know, you still know Rose uh, (laughs) in some kind of way. This is Um, true. Yeah. Um, But what I want to say is like, I can can understand the the decision to not go on uh, with this relationship. Um, Mm -hmm. Either way, I'm very interested in maybe some other time here um, how you ended up together. I mean, I think this is no spoiler <laughs> yes. for, for the listeners. Um, but one other thing, I, I, which I can also not imagine right now, is if I think of like where I live in Germany or Europe, it's basically impossible to go somewhere, um, like you told me, to be on your own and be there for a week, two or three, like you said, and only mm-hmm. meet like 10 to 15 people. This is basically not <clears throat> impossible. Um, does did this had to do like with the time uh, because like things were not 
this established. I don't know if this is the right word, but to do th things like that, um, or could you still do things like this today? Well, I, you probably could <clears throat> in certain parts of the world. Um, you know, we were uh, quite some distance from civilization. So by the time you get out, you know, even 50 miles, uh, you're going to see fewer and fewer people. I don't know, you know, 50 plus years um, or 50 years from that, that trip, uh, if it's become more popular and, you know, it's more crowded and, and, and mm. uh, that kind of thing, it's, 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 it's possible. But I think if you get far enough back there, um, you can you can be a hermit, you know. And I mean, and this is kind of a, an aside. We met a couple of groups of young women that were in their early 20s, groups of like two groups of different groups of four that were traveling all the way from Washington State down into California. They, that, that was to me, we thought we were adventuresome. They're going to be out for three months, you know, but they were more prepared than we were. <laughs> yeah. I mean, looking back, taking a few nuts mm -hmm. and a coconut, this is mm -hmm. what, what stuck with me. Um, and wanting to go for a trip for a month, um, not to be disrespectful, but sounds pretty stupid to me. <laughs> it was pretty, it was pretty stupid. Well, there's going to be a lot, there are a lot more stupid stories uh I hope from so. this from this guy yeah you know, i hope so um well all you know all's well that ends well as they say um, yeah i mean um i i have I, i have to be honest um yeah when you told the story i literally my heart rate went up um and i <laughs> i i my my breath uh, I, i stopped breathing at some point because like <laughs> i knew you were still alive because we were talking but um It was, it was kind of scary because it's hard for me to imagine things like this because I don't see myself um, happening. Uh, I don't see myself, myself where things like this happen to me in, like, in the near future. This is not going to... I mean, it's basically um, a bit different in Germany because there's not people like walking around, around with guns except yes. for maybe hunters, but you will see them because they're wearing these super shiny light light uh, vests yeah. and whatever yeah 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 um but things like this i don't, I don't see them happening here in, well in germany or in europe there's a lot of different i mean it's a different world and uh one of the you know we did a lot of hitchhiking i mean hitchhiking was our mode of transportation if you didn't have a car and that's we simply got to and fro long distances and and maybe yeah. a hitchhiking story will be uh, uh one that will be coming up at some point later uh on a future podcast yeah okay so right. maybe last question for today mm -hmm. did you ever found out who this zipper open shotgun guy was i never <clears throat> never found out and um i felt lucky never to know You know, now, now it's just one of those, you know, scary you know, ogres and it, it's, a, it's simply a bad dream. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're dealing with some, if, if I think of the U.S., for example, right mm -hmm. now, mm -hmm. um, but still also in the past, we're dealing with like really, um, try to find a nice way to say this, like American stereotypes, like I think Americans have the, also stereotypes of Germans, but like basically guns is is 
uh, a very big stereotype. Um, this story you told me has this specific U.S. touch to it for for me to hear it, if you know what I mean. Yes, unfortunately, unfortunately, it does have that, you know. But in a funny, in, a, in this time, in a funny way. Like, yes, I think nothing happened. In, Luckily, I mean, if to be honest, you could have gone, you could have maybe used a shotgun for yourself kind of okay you would have not needed to eat frog legs if you had a shotgun well that's <laughs> true you'd be having to pull a lot of shot out of something though that's for sure yeah yeah well mono wonderful catching yeah. up with you it has been very very great i'm really looking forward to the next episode thank you very much Likewise. and yeah talk to you soon talk to you soon ciao